0: As i lie here thinking of you i realize that nothing is new me that you don't really care. I realize now nothing is new, time to live my life without you.
1: Okay that was the Bell Stars sign of the times and this is podcast 135 entitled Elevator now my kind of critical spirit could give you a long song and dance about the Bell Stars and um I could actually talk about them for a for a considerable amount of time in terms of my own feelings about them but this is really an event performative ideally rather than a kind of scan of whatever cultural influences or influences come into my own thinking. But that song is really very important in its era, and it's the drama of a woman, the writer, who is addressing the man in the relationship who's good in bed but doesn't give any love. In other words, she's not getting anything back emotionally or really sacrificially, from this man with whom she has this sexual relationship, and she is into him, but he's not giving anything back. So she announces that this is a sign of the times, time to be alone. And the um, power of that is that it's, uh, uh, as they say, of Deutsch, it's obvious to anyone in relationships, in the human uh, existence, that if you are um, the object of one's attentions or someone else is the object of your attentions in a physical or sexual sense, and yet there's no real desire to offer anything, to give back, to to share, as it were, to, to give, then the relationship is going nowhere and ultimately will be destroyed. Now, most relationships that are ideally and passionately sexual have the... Um, Ability to turn into something uh, beyond and above or subsuming, which includes the emotional uh, character of real uh, sharing and participation, emotional inclusion. But it's also possible, very possible, to feel as she in the song... By the Bell Stars, that this is a sign of my times of life, that uh, we're good in uh, bed, but there's nothing else beyond it. You're giving me nothing time to be alone. Now, the problem with that is that it creates a situation or sets up a situation or perhaps is a situation where the only sort of – possible result is being alone. Now, admittedly, you don't want to be with someone who hates you or detests you or criticizes you or is really out entirely for his own satisfaction and not yours. But at the same hand, the cost of entitlement, a fair entitlement to receiving love is um, in this relationship, which she is singing about, uh, time to be alone. And I think the issue here in this podcast entitled Elevator is what is the real... Um, kind of uh, vehicle by which uh, love uh, can be turned from um, this kind of impasse between a selfish person and a person who is simply not going to put up any longer. She has justice on her side, but at a very high cost. And the high cost is time to be alone. And you and I know that in the long run, we don't want to be alone. I mean, I don't care who you are. Whatever your particular circumstances and attitudes and position is – Nobody really wants to be alone for long, or ultimately alone, or finally alone. Especially when you get sick or needy and die. I mean, I was in college, and I kept getting this uh, kind of uh, flu. It was my particular way of dealing with stress in college. And um, I, uh, when I'd get the flu, I mean, I wasn't going to ask my male roommate, you know, in the next room, to look after me and bring me something from, bring me soup from the, uh, you know, refectory and the hall. Um, there was at various points, um, girlfriends and they, if they liked me, seemed to want to bring me soup and oranges and citrus and help nurse me back to health. And uh, uh, I learned very soon that no matter what I might happen to think about my own uh, ideas and my own ego and persona, it was never really great fun, especially in times of distress, to be alone. So the cost of entitlement, which is absolutely just on her part, is time to be alone. And I think the issue there is that... The um, attitude reflected, very human, very normal in the song, is a kind of form of tussle in love that is bound to fail because it is somehow based on the idea that I can either I need to change this person, or I want to get something from this person, or I need to Mm. alter the situation. There's no acceptance going on. You may say she shouldn't accept it. I accept that, but nonetheless, there are different ways to approach a problem, and the way of approaching a problem that this podcast um, is uh, attempting to express and embody. And the concluding song, and I'll only say right now it's from the Tramps, of a different genre, but I think it's a knockout, is about sort of the place where ultimately um, love and belovedness comes together. And you'll hear that at the end, but enough on that. Now, the um, <clears throat> I saw this recently in someone I know who is very concerned about his uh, desire to have possessions on the one hand, but also uh, the woman he lives with, uh, he his wife actually, uh, has another idea about their life. She wants to scale down and do something else and finish with the current chapter in their life. This is not me, by the way, at all. Uh, someone I know uh, who... Um, um, is uh, completely disguised here. Uh, I've changed everything about the illustration, but he is upset with himself that he cannot sort of budge himself loose from a lot of things that he likes and wants to sort of go along with his um, his wife who really wants to have a different kind of a life, and actively so. And so he framed his prayer. He said, I'm praying that I would uh, be less attached to my possessions. I'm praying that I would be able to overcome my sort of... Um, Kind of desire to have these things, desire to have a lot of things, a kind of life that I have, uh, that I would be able to overcome that, so I could accommodate myself to to uh, um, to her who wants a scaled down life, and we could somehow meet at least in the middle, if not more on her side. After these years, well, the, the prayer was framed completely wrong. It was framed in the sense that it was that it not wrong. The prayer cannot be answered because it involves a struggle. What he is saying is that he is asking God and asking me to help him ask God because I'm on the other end of this conversation, to reduce something that he has in his life, a certain uh, attachment, so that he can overcome the attachment and be more uh, self-giving. It's a sincere prayer. But because it's based on the notion of a a struggle, a a struggle against the way he finds himself thinking and feeling, it is doomed because it's based on a struggle. It's not based on an acceptance uh, of the way he is, which would, by the very act of not struggling against who he is, its hold on him would decrease. In acceptance and reconciliation with the way he is, his... um his uh, conflict uh, with his wife would uh, decline um, overnight. Uh, it wouldn't end completely, but it would uh, uh, lose its strength because he's fighting it uh, so much. So what happens certainly in religion and in Christianity also is that um, people are constantly praying against something in themselves or some situation to change it rather than starting with grace, acceptance, and mercy and then the the actual resistance that they're feeling and conflict. Conflict begins to to leave. Remember what the scripture says: uh, "There is no sin where there is no law, or sin increases when the law or or, or judgment increases. Uh, where there is a judgment on the way I am, it, the way I am." in the negative sense increases. Take away the judgment or the resistance to the thing, the criticism of the thing, and then the thing itself loses its uh, overwhelming power. So you might say that we're dealing with a different way of looking at grace. Now I want to, um, actually it's a very old, ancient, New Testament way of looking at grace, but it's not grace as trying to get to some place that I want to be at by means of some form of overcoming or weakening or diminishing, even referencing God in prayer, because then it's a conflict situation and conflict situations are inevitably by their very nature they're a fight and the moment they're a fight they're 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 either or and the moment they're an either or you can get nowhere because the great um the great change in life is um into thy hands i commit thy uh, my spirit uh do not turn you know turn the other cheek um uh, Accept what is and then what is alters uh, right around you. It's the most uh, remarkable um, transaction in human life, but it does not involve a kind of domination of circumstance or a victory over circumstance, but rather a resignation to circumstance. And you see this in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's really why when you visit the very... Um, uh, beautiful Church of All Nations in the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem. Uh, when you actually go in the church, everyone loses it because there is something about the rock outcropping and the mood of uh, Christ's accepting his vocation of suffering, uh, the blood running, you know, his sweat that turned to blood, something about that that is very um, helpful and very reconciling. And you always walk out of it feeling better as opposed to where there's been a monumental conflict. Now, um, let me uh, read um, something that you um, uh, you 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 have to you'll you'll have a slim hold on this maybe or maybe you'll completely see it but something that Aldous uh, Huxley uh, said in a sermon that he uh, gave actually at a congregational church in Los Angeles on July the fourteenth, nineteen forty. He said this. Um, Power comes into an organism from above and from below, up through the animal level and down through the spiritual level. Now, those of you who are nervous about verticality in relationship to what appears like levels, you know, as opposed to once and for all, one, full, perfect, sufficient, hang on. Hang on, because there is a one, full, perfect, and sufficient. But it's sometimes very helpful, as Wilder said, to find new words Uh, to uh, old uh, ideas, Uh, and in some ways, sometimes the words even um, shed light on the old ideas. He pointed out that power comes into the organism from above and from below, up through the animal level and down through the spiritual level, but the power can't circulate because it is checked by the ego. So animal grace, in quotes, is the function of the organism in accordance with the laws of its physical being, the lilies taking no thought for the morrow. P.S. This is Paul speaking. This is what Wiley uh, said in uh, essay on morals in the uh, magic animal about um, the uh, character of instinct. Animal grace is the functioning of the organism in accordance with the laws of its physical being, the lilies taking no thought for the morrow. Spiritual grace, in quotes, is the functioning of our organism in accordance with the laws of its spiritual being, as in we are all a part of absolute reality. Then he said something whether you believe that or not. He did say something that cast light for me on the kind of prayer conflict that I mentioned earlier. Human grace, said Aldous Huxley in a sermon on July the 14th, 1940, human grace is pseudo-grace. It is only a projection of the ego onto circumstance. It may appear selfless, but it never really is. Well, I feel that the... um, character of uh, so much of what we're about Um, uh, is a um, life as a conflict that needs to be resolved in favor of a particular desired result, even a very wholesome and positive and loving, uh, harmonious result. If we see life as something to be somehow tamed or changed or altered, and this is why many of us find the word transformation kind of a must to avoid currently in Christian circles, because it involves the idea that you've come into the church for somebody to do something to you. And rather, the nature of grace is You're accepted as you are. And in being accepted, the real self, the real you, who is full of love, energy, and delight, and joy, and exuberance, uh, comes uh, to the fore. I was uh, also uh, talking to someone whom I care very much. And she was uh, uh, complaining about her son at uh, college. And she just, uh, uh, again, I've disguised the illustration completely in every way I can. But she was complaining about her son that he was really uh, failing to do right in some not as a sexual, which is usually is, or a drink, which they never tell you if you're the mother and father, but in relationship to some aspect of studies. And so involved in she is she in uh, her um, son's uh, ins and outs and vagaries of his everyday life as a senior in college that she sort of knows she thinks what he's doing every 15 minutes. And she's absolutely, totally, wildly absorbed and focused on some particular problem he has relevant to one of his courses. And uh, she sees it, she said, "Paul, help me in this. What do I need to do to get him to <clears throat> start studying properly so he can have opportunities it's always veiled and uh, you know veiled as uh, something elemosinary and loving on the part of the mother or the father, you know so he can in fact have all the choices that i didn't have that's the usual thing, and it 's completely untrue. what uh, she's doing is she 's really uh, out of her own discomfort as she is attempting to control the situation, and we know that that will backfire that 's what Huxley means when he talks about human." grace, that is to say, grace that is not really grace, grace that is based on some form of control or possession, and that not only creates a reaction in the other person, total reaction in the other person, uh, they go the other direction completely, and you've lost them totally emotionally forever, and you'll find this out later, believe me, I say this to all parents, please listen, you won't listen, you'll do exactly what you're doing, but then you'll suddenly wake up at age 40, and your children don't want to talk to you, at least about anything that really matters to them or anything that is truly specific to their independent way of living and way of thinking and so please don't do it but I know you all continue to do it we're all normal now what happens is that if you see rather if this young man could be accepted as he is whatever he is and simply listen to and not try to be changed and even understood that if things aren't going well in his botany class or whatever it is that, that maybe he has to fail maybe it's important that he fail don't protect him because God is always working through these failures apparent failures to bring someone to a new place and through a new door, and this is important, so stand out of that. But you won't, but um, it's really uh, vain words, but it's crucial. Now, the problem with all of this, whether it's the Bell Stars, who she's up against a man she cannot change, who seems selfish, and probably is selfish, and therefore she says, get away, I'm out of here, time to be alone, but you know, she's not going to enjoy it, and she's probably going to thrust herself into another relationship quite soon, if it comes along, that may in fact have exactly the same problems, because her real problem is not the guy, it's herself. Similarly, the two different examples I gave the problem is not this rock that has to be moved out of the way or excavated out by the way I was seeing a fabulous um um 1990 British um horror uh, half hour special from BBC I think it was called Stigmata and it's about a a woman uh, in a country uh, little getaway from London out in the country and it turns out that the little garden these upper middle class people in their cottage has a kind of uh, roll stones uh, kind of a prehistoric you know uh, um, Stonehenge type of uh, uh, kind of primitive uh, monolith uh, buried and they try to move the monolith to do the garden and suddenly she has all these stigmata all over herself it's just the most extraordinary thing and uh, she begins to bleed and uh, it's called stigmata and it's haunting because it's really well done and she has no idea where this is coming from, this psychosomatic, but is it, Um, uh, consanguinity of sanguinis and it's really something. Now, the um, uh, point here is that you don't do something about a thing. It's that rock. If they only hadn't moved the rock and tried to get the rock out of their garden, the terrible thing that befalls her wouldn't have befallen her. The same is with you. Let the rock stay. Um, Heard used to say that we have no free will at the point of action. Because at the point of action, we're bringing in fears, we're bringing in terrors, we're bringing in anxieties, we're bringing in aggro, we're bringing in guilt, we're bringing in all these things from our past whenever we act unilaterally. And that inevitably fails because it's tied into all this baggage, garbage of other things that have created a non-free action that's really coming out of another place, a controlling place or a possessive place or a fearful place. So don't act when you don't know what to do because as Heard said... We There is no freedom at the point of action. What a thing to say, and how true that is if you look at your life where you've acted and it's you've not acted out of freedom and it's boomeranged back on you. So the uh, power really of what he's saying is when you reconcile, when you come to terms, when you don't resist, and this sounds new age, or new, no, it sounds like new thought, but it's really very old thought because when you let it be, you don't criticize, you don't judge, you don't accuse. The thing itself loses its sting and it can be dealt with as it is. And it, uh, then, uh, you know, there's, by not attacking a problem, going at it, you know, Bill Murray and Scrooge, I'm all over it. He's not all over it. You can't be all over anything. And if he's all over it, he's all over it for the wrong reasons. And uh, so Jesus said that the motive is all. So you were really stuck. So far better to see life in the following way. And here I'm coming towards the conclusion. Uh, Isherwood himself, who was uh, in the late uh, 1930s and early 1940s truly cooking with gas um, – uh, wrote about um, the nature of the life force, if I can don't, don't take that as jargon uh, it, it is just a word to describe what is the Holy Spirit or the presence of God that is working in the direction of love and uh, joy and hope and the fruit of the Spirit the, 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 the rivers of living waters out of the belly as Christ said in St. John's Gospel and um, listen to this, this is in the context of Isherwood's ruminations about religion as related to sex and that's why I use it because it brought uh, to my mind uh, immediately out of my uh, a, a tremendous affection for the song we heard earlier, Sign of the Times by the Bell Stars. In uh, June uh, uh, 1939, and I think this is the extended entry, uh, actually it's a general entry from June of uh, 1939, issued writes this, as for the accusation that, quote, religion is nothing but sex, end of Quotes. Whether you accept Freud or not, the fact remains that the mind-body has only one life force. This force expresses itself in different ways at different levels of consciousness. Now, here's the key thing, and this is the motif from which the title for this podcast, 135, comes. In a department store, the same elevator takes you to the women's hats, the sports department, the furniture, and the restaurant on the roof. The same force impels a man to paint a picture run the quarter mile, have sexual intercourse, say his prayers. Most Europeans and Americans, religious or not, find this fact a little shocking because they secretly think that sex is dirty and they think that the life force is probably nothing else but sex. Um, This point of view never fails to shock Westerners, however. It even shocked Huxley and Gerald himself. Now, this is it. The department store... The same force impels a man to paint a picture, run the quarter mile, have sexual intercourse, say his prayers. Now that is a, if I may use a slightly, a word that you may um, react to, but it's, the, it's a good word for this. <clears throat> that is the monistic view of uh, God. That is the monistic view of reality, life, and nature. God, what uh, what heard out of deference for his secular friends, and he was a very religious man, and had a very strong Christian, very strong Christian preponderance to his thought and his heritage, but especially his thought as it was maturely presented, heard... Um, would refer to God as this thing. He never used the word God, this thing. <clears throat> this thing, which is everything, which is reality, which is the real thing that is me, that is I, that is the self, that I don't know, that I need to understand, that ultimately is in charge of all things, and from whom, and to whom, and to which I'm going. And that brought in contact with uh, ever-renewing love of the Holy Ghost, uh, had this tremendous impact on these uh, people. I- Key point in their young lives, their mature young lives. So, um, if you could see that the elevator, that the same thing that is love and sex is also creativity and painting, and the same thing um, that I often, you know, we used to laugh, we would go and watch uh, at the country club where we lived uh, in. Uh, um, Barcliffe Manor, New York. We would, because we would take our children on walks in the country club of which we were honorary members. Cause in the old days, Episcopal clergy could often, would often receive an honorary membership in a local country club. And we'd, we were around and I think Tuesday mornings was women's, uh, women's doubles day. And, uh, you'd see all these, uh, these were John Cheever type situations and you'd see these, um, the wives of these very successful commuting New Yorkers. And uh, in those days, it was the women who were the stay-at-home wives. We're talking a long time ago, but it was in my living memory. And they were unbelievable. I mean, the power of their serves, the incredible games that these women would play. As I would be taking the kids around on my day off or Mary would, and we said, God, these, these women must have terrible sex lives. I mean, it was very clear to me that the energy of the serve, because they were very good, And the power of the tennis we were seeing on Tuesday morning, whatever it was, Wives of Members Day or Female, whatever it was called, it had a name, said – that's what what the elevator is, The the same elevator. That was a little probably failing with their tired commuting husbands who were away Monday through Friday on banking expeditions to the Middle West or to China, whatever it was. Uh, the, 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 there was a huge amount of something going on that smacked to me of of, of, the, of, of a sexual aspect of life and a frustration but that 's what a monistic view it 's not uh, it 's uh, tennis as sex or um, painting a picture as also sex, the underground river, as I say. By the way, uh, if you're looking for some new material that you might enjoy, Mockingbird is just about to release my 27 lectures that I gave at Knox Seminary in uh, Fort Lauderdale uh, in July, and they're being released. I think you have to pay for them, but uh, it's very modest, and I'd love you to to get those lectures. They're 27, I think, and you can choose which ones are by the set. And uh, I'm very pleased with that particular um, presentation. It's been very well edited, so you'll only get... You won't get dead time. But the power of the unit, the elevator went to the country club on Tuesday morning and it was in the... The the empty beds at night uh, with the man always away in that cultural context, it's different today, but it's the same thing. Uh, it just has new partners, new people, new situations, new combinations. And secondly, it's in the man who paints a picture. It's in all those people I used to know in retirement who would take up painting. I mean, it's Winston Churchill, you know, at Chartwell. It's uh, it's painting, it's music, it's Mozart, it's Sayeri, it's uh, tennis, and it's uh, – it's the, didn't you say it, run a quarter mile, paint a painting, have sexual intercourse, or pray a prayer. It's in religion. That's why religion is so often uh, really, uh, there's so much of that in it, that energy in the reason people come to it. And it's so unacknowledged and so tabooed. So you have these explosions of tabooed energy, which it should just be recognized for what it is. And then it's hold, the suppressive hold would vary. And you'd have a much more normal and regular way of living. But that will never happen. At least it never has in the history of religion. <laughs> except maybe in very small groups of people. Maybe St. Francis had a holistic view, and that's one of the reasons why he was so unbelievably respectful to women, probably because he was integrated and not tabooed in that area. But my point is, the elevator, it's all the same. And so therefore, life then becomes, instead of a a big rock a boulder in the garden that has to be uh, upended, as in stigmata and removed, and, and kills you, kills you. It kills Um because of the collateral damage of a consequence that the people who did it had no idea about of an Anglo-Saxon or Cro-Magnon man sacrificial um, table stone table and you have um, this uh, it it makes of life instead of something to correct inside you You know, my my acquisitiveness which prevents me from downsizing for the sake of uh, my wife's desire to have a quieter and more normal life at the age we are or something about my son at school that makes me want to just change him so he can do right, and all of these cases are cases of a seeing life as a challenge. What Aldous Huxley means here as human grace is when the ego, when actually it's about you and yourself and your problems, rather about the thing in itself, and then the problem itself becomes so big. So that's what I wanted to say. I hope that makes a, an impact on you. Um, I think that July the 14th, 1940, at Alan Hunter's church in Los Angeles must have been a red-letter day or a, what the Romans called a white pe- Ramans called a white pebble, day. That must have been a very great day. And I think we owe a lot to Christopher Isherwood for his uh, illustration. As soon as I heard it, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, that sounds um, uh, just like uh, Who's Minding the Store, the elevator, as it is constantly being used and goes crazy in Jerry Lewis's immortal movie, which I recommend to you very highly, Who's Minding the Store. But forget all that. And now listen to a little bit of a track that uh, gives an very different uh, collateral or consequence to life. Uh, much more exuberant, hopeful, reconciled, and delightful understanding of what it is to be a human being as uh, over against the probably better artistic expression of uh, the damage caused by uh, dynamic conflict in relationships that we heard at the beginning. Thank you very much. <laughs>